Please take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We are continuing our series through the book of Romans, but finishing this section here uh, in this wonderful, wonderful book. Romans is divided into four sections, roughly four chapters apiece. And uh, so we've been dealing over the past few months with uh, the gospel and sin. The gospel is the theme of the book of Romans. If uh, Paul wrote a gospel, it would be the book of Romans. It's all about Jesus and how he came to save us from our sins. So the first four chapters of the book of Romans deal with the gospel and how it relates to sin. And so we've been walking through this and talking about this, and next week when we come back and we open up in chapter 5, we'll be dealing with the gospel and hope. And, and he's been laying the foundation for us as we've been getting ready, uh, but week after week we've been dealing a lot with sin. And so Paul concludes to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, here in Romans chapter 4, and he's concluding with his thoughts on Abraham and, and Abraham and how he relates and how he was in need of a Savior, but, but ultimately how Abraham's faith uh, helped to launch him into the place that God was able to use him. And so this is really getting us ready for next week as we begin to talk about the gospel and hope. So the Bible's open to Romans chapter 4. We understand that some people say that seeing is believing. But the Bible says believing is seeing. By faith we have seen and we can see things that are unseen. Faith is our only option. For a life without faith means that it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. So let's see today what the Bible has to tell us about faith and Abraham's faith and how it is that you and I can have faith that can help to overcome sin. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Romans chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse number 13. This is the word of the Lord and it says this, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the, adherent, the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on the grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom... He believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith, and he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words that was counted to him were not written just for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Father, we thank you for these words. Now may they not just simply be words that we read, but may they be words that we apply to our daily walk and our daily life. We ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. Three points that we're going to deal with today as it deals with faith and sin. Number one, faith is greater than the law. Faith is greater than the law. Verse 13 tells us that Abraham's hope and salvation came from faith. Not his adherence to the law, the law being the Old Testament, the, the writings of Moses. In fact, 
Abraham lived 430 years before Moses even wrote the law. So Paul's point here is that Abraham had faith and it pleased God. It wasn't his following of the law that made Abraham a child of God, but it was his faith in God that made him a child of God. Abraham was a man of faith, but he, he was raised not that way, right? Abraham, when God found Abraham, where was he? He was in the city of Ur, U-R, Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. It was a pagan city, a, a very large city in the time of Abraham, but they worshiped false gods. And this is where Abraham was found. And, and God called to him from Ur of the Chaldees to leave his family, to leave his friends, to leave his job, to leave his security, and, and oh, by the way, to leave his pagan religion and blindly by faith follow Yahweh, Jehovah, God. God spoke and with Abraham, it was an instantaneous obedience. God called and Abraham began to pack. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know why God was calling him. He didn't know how. But once the grace of God moved in his life, he was willing to obey. Do you know what faith means? If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this definition down. This is the most simplest definition that I can find. This is not original with me. I don't know who originally wrote this, but this is a great definition for faith. It's this. Faith means that we follow God with no strings attached. Faith means that we follow God with no strings attached. It means that we leave from our own Ur of the Chaldees. We go out from our civilized security and we trust God no matter what. We cut the cord with the world. Faith means that we decide to do the will of God no matter what. Before we know where he's telling us to go, before we know what it is he's telling us to do, no matter if we even know why it is that he's telling us to do what he's telling us to do, we trust him and we follow him, and that's faith. Faith is greater than the law. That leads us into point number two because it means then that faith is where we must start. Faith is where we have to begin. Paul's point here in these verses that we read is that life with God begins with faith. Look at verse 16. This is why life, it, life, depends on faith. It depends on it. Faith is the building block for the soul. Everything that you will do or you will not do, it rises and falls based on faith. Everything that you do or will not do for God rises or falls on faith. We didn't read them, but verses 9 through 12 deal with this. They're talking about how faith precedes action. Just in our verses today that faith comes uh, before the law, verses 9 through 12 talk about how faith comes before action. We didn't read it, but verses 9 through 12 deal with the circumcision of Abraham. Over and over and over it deals with this. Verses 9 through 12, it deals with the circumcision, an external sign before he followed the law. Paul's point here in verses 9 through 12 is simply to say that faith is where we must start. We don't start with the law. We don't start with external signs. It must begin in our heart. If we're going to follow God and attempt to do great things for God, it doesn't start by putting on a show on the external. It starts by getting real and personal and honest on the inside. That's the opposite of what we church folk like to think though, right? We want everybody to think that we've got it all together, that everything on the outside is good, because since everything on the outside is good, that must mean everything on the inside is good. But what Paul is telling us is that it didn't start with an external, it began with the internal. It didn't start with an external sign, it didn't start with following the law, it begins with faith. It begins with faith. You see, faith is where it all begins. Sometimes we act or we react before faith. 
we could call this faithless work. If you're taking notes, write down those two words, faithless work. Faithless work is work that's done to glorify self. You work with no faith. You, 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 you're working in order to say, look at what I have done. Look at what I have built. Look at what I have created. Look at me. Faithless work is done in order to glorify self. This is often how the world does, goes about things. But it creeps into the church world as well, faithless work. And of course, then we know that James talks about the other side of the equation. We can have faithless work, but we can also have workless faith. Write that down. You have faithless work where we glorify self, but then we have workless faith. James says that if you have a faith, but you don't give and you don't serve, then your faith is dead. If you have a workless faith, then you have no life in you. Faithless work, where we work for ourself, our own gain. And then we have a workless faith, and a faithless work, and, and we attempt to do all these things to glorify self, and we, we completely miss the point of it all. I think that there's times that we must come back to the basis, to the beginnings, and the, the, the cornerstone, the foundation of our belief. We complicate things too much, don't we? Faith, here, here's the, the, the most simplest thing that we can say. Faith, faith is the building block for everything that we do. That's where we have to come back to. Faith is the building block for everything else we do. When you pray, you pray based on your faith. If you don't have faith in what you're praying for, then you have no business praying. When you give, you give based on your faith. When you read scripture, you read scripture based on your faith. What does it look like when you read scripture and you're not basing it on faith? You're just reading it like any other book. You see, when you read scripture, you read scripture based on your faith. You're trusting in things that you cannot see, you cannot touch, but still yet you have faith to believe it. Speaking of belief, what do you believe in God for? Right now in your life, what is in your world that you are trusting and believing God for? Is it healing? Is it emotional healing? Psychological healing? Physical healing? Maybe you're trusting God for the healing of your marriage or another relationship. Can I tell you what has been consuming my life as of late? Can I open my heart and share with you what I have been praying for for literally months? I've been on my knees crying before God, praying and fasting and asking God for it. Can I share with you, church? I'm praying for revival. Holy Ghost-led revival. What do you believe in God for? There's no right answer, no wrong answer. What do you believe in God for? Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can and will accomplish it, that in what you believe? Are you believing what you're believing? And do you believe that God can and will do what you are trusting him for? If so, that's good. That's the first step. Remember, it's faith is where we must begin. But oftentimes, that's where we Christians sometimes stop. <laughs> if we have faith, then we can trust and believe God for big things and great things. But oftentimes, we don't even take that next step. If, if we get to the first step, that's a right direction. 
But so many of us stop right there. You see, <laughs> faith and the other side of the coin of faith, we Christians like to have spiritual amnesia about. It's called works. We hear works and we want to put our fingers in our ears and say, blah, 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 right? Don't want to hear it. All I want to do is believe. I just want to believe. Believe. Don't tell me to do anything. I, I, I just want to believe. Is that not enough? James says, you have faith. That's great. Well, I'll show you my faith with works, and it's even better. You're praying for your lost friend that he gets saved, that she gets saved. That's a great thing. That's a very important thing to be praying for lost people, that lost people get saved. That's a great thing to do. Now, what are you doing about it other than praying? What else are you doing? Praying is a great thing, but, but how are you sharing your faith with him? What are you doing in taking the gospel to her? You're praying that God will reconcile your marriage. That's a great thing. That's a great place to start is prayer. But can I ask you, what else are you doing about it? I, I have seen, I have seen couples that even they were married, they got a divorce, and God reconciled their marriage and brought them back together. Yes, they were people of prayer. Both parties began to pray, but then they, they prayed, but then as they were praying, they began to get to work. They begin to work towards reconciliation. So what are you doing about it? Faith and works are opposite ends of the same coin. They go together. If you like faith, if you like faith, then you'll never see the hand of God move in and of your life as a person with faith will see. So it begins with faith. Finally, where we're going to remain for the rest of the time that we have together is this. Vision comes after faith. So faith is greater than the law. This is what he's saying. Faith is greater than the law. Faith is where we have to begin. And then the vision, the, the, the future, it comes after we have the faith. Once faith is present, then God gives a vision. So according to the verses that we just read today, once Abraham had faith, he trusted God, God then gave him a great vision, a promise that Abraham could hardly believe. That's what a vision is. A vision is very simple. It's not reality yet. It's not something you can see. It's not something you can touch. It's not something you can feel. But since you have faith, it's might, you might as well go ahead and put it in the bank because, and start drawing interest because it's just as good as if you already had it. God will give you a vision. God will give you a vision because he knows that when he gives vision to someone who has faith, it's like taking good seed and putting it in good soil. I love to garden. I love to grow vegetables, but can I tell you the part of growing vegetables that I hate? Yes, the bugs and all that, but the incubation period. I hate that. I really wish that we could put the seed in the ground and hit fast forward, and, and growing vegetables were like a DVR on a TV. You can just hit fast forward or, or just move over to the next chapter, and, and then all of a sudden, I've got my ears of corn, and it just happened just a few moments after I put the seed in the ground. You see, nobody likes incubation period. Can I get an amen, ladies? Do you like the nine months of incubation period of that little baby growing? How many of you would like for the, the pregnancy to, to, to happen and then just a few days later, here's a baby? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Nine months of back hurting and, and all of this. Can I get an amen, ladies? I'm trying to help you out. We don't like incubation period. We, we don't like the in-between time. But you see, God gives us the faith. When we have the faith, it's like planting a seed. 
And when that seed is planted, he gives us a vision of what that seed is going to become. If I plant a, a, a seed of corn, I'm not going to get tomatoes. When God gives me the promise of what he's going to do, he's going to give me what it was that he promised me to do. And it's always going to be bigger and better than the one thing that was planted. Does that make sense? So it begins with faith, which is a seed, but when that faith is planted, God gives us a vision, and that vision has an incubation period. I don't know how tall that corn's going to grow. I don't know what that baby's going to look like. I don't know. I don't know anything about what's happening during this incubation period, but I do know that he has given me a great promise of what is to come. Abraham could not have understood there's no possible way that Abraham could understood what, have understood what God meant when he said he was going to make him the father of many nations. There's no way. In fact, look, look at what he says in verse 18. Notice what Paul says. He says, in hope he believed against hope. What that means is against all hope. Abraham believed against all odds. He couldn't understand the, the vision that God gave him. He had the faith. He didn't understand the vision. He got it. I mean, he, he, he understood it, uh, that, that it was going to happen, but he could not fathom how in the world this was going to take place. And Abraham still trusted God. There were many things going against Abraham, right? Many things that would seem as if the promise of God would be impossible. And Paul points them out. Thanks a lot, Paul, right, for pointing out all my flaws. <laughs> he says he was old. In fact, <laughs> notice what he says. He says... Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? How would you like that written about you? He was as good as dead. He was almost 100 years old when he was given that promise. Now, Paul does something very smart here, gentlemen. I want you to notice, he doesn't talk about Sarah's age here. You notice that? Never, ever, 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 this is the 11th commandment, talk about a woman's age. But what he does do is he points out Sarah's well. He says that she was barren. Here's this old man, Abraham, and Sarah was no spring chicken, but, but Paul says she's barren. She has no children. Verse 19, though, he says that he didn't weaken when he considered his age or that Sarah was with no children. Paul says he didn't waver. He didn't rock. He stood firm, and he trusted God's vision and God's promise. As I read over these verses this past week, and I, I began to consider and think, God, how, how in the world can I apply this to my life? He placed in my heart something that was very real. I couldn't help but to think about this church. If there was ever a church that has defied the odds stacked against them, if there was ever an underdog, if there was ever a David and Goliath, it's a Loma church. We have a rich, a very rich history. Can I tell you that you are sitting in a place right now because of the faith of a pastor who 50 years ago had a vision? God gave a huge vision to this pastor who served this church for only one year, just a handful of people at that time. A vision that God was leading a Loma Baptist church to leave Aloma Avenue and buy property out on, at that time, little old Highway 436. Nothing out here. If we could rewind and go back to that time, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we, we would have heard the neighbors. You know what the neighbors are? 
those people that always say, no, it can't happen. How, you preacher, you're telling me you're going to take a Loma Baptist church named after the road Loma Avenue and you're going to take a Loma Baptist and put it on 436, what are we going to call it? Church on 436? You can't take a church named after a name of a road and put it on a road that's not, it's not named after. That makes no sense. I can hear it, can't you? But God had a different plan. God placed this vision in this pastor who only served as the pastor of this church for one single year. That God brought a man who was the pastor here for 30 years. That same vision he gave that pastor and those people, he placed in Joe Boatwright, our pastor emeritus, who carried that vision and saw it become a reality by relocating the church from Aloma Avenue here on 436 in all of our lives. Every single life who is here today has been impacted because of that one decision. Maybe this is your first time that you have ever worshiped with us here at Aloma, but your life, because that we've been worshiping together now for 45 minutes, your life has been impacted at least for 45 minutes because of that decision that was made so many years ago. I want to see a show of hands. The first service, I was floored. I want to see a show of hands of, of people. I don't care when it was and how, how many years ago it was. But if you have been saved or baptized through the ministries of Aloma Church, will you simply just raise your hand? Wow. Wow. What I want us to see is that one moment of faith, one moment of faith that led to a vision that made absolutely no sense is still being played out in our very lives right now. God's hand is on this church in a very special way. I was talking to someone uh, just this past week, and he said, Pastor, there, there's, and he was just talking, he said, you know, God is blessing here. He's not blessing it. He said, there's a large church in our own city that's really struggling. They're having to cut ministries and cut staff because the attendance is, is going down and the finances are, are going down. They're really struggling. However, the Lord is blessing Aloma to the point that, that we are seeing our largest growth in the history, our 60-year history. We are growing faster than we have ever grown before. Why? I, I truly believe that it's because God is blessing us because we are a people who dare to dream. We dare to have faith in a faithless society. We dare to step out and, and trust the Lord with a God-sized vision. I was speaking with our executive financial director the other day, and Bob Beard, and he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, if, if Aloma continues, if our church continues to give at the rate she's giving to Aloma 2020, then we will have the Boatwright Center paid off before the end of this year. That means that's paid off six months earlier than we had planned. In just under two and a half years, our church will be completely debt-free on an over $3 million project. That's huge. That's my Trump impression there. <laughs> Wearing a Trump suit and doing the Trump huge. <laughs> Made in Mexico, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what were we talking about? You know, we, we, we think about what he's done what we have just experienced with the Boatwright Center, our church has never done before, ever. 
In fact, I had people tell me two years ago that this could never happen, that this church could not raise that amount of money in that short of amount of time without having a high-pressure sales pitch and shaming people who didn't give. But you know what? God did it. And you did it too. Thank you. But you know what else we're seeing? We're seeing faith and vision and action. Now here's the elephant in the room. How are we going to build this $5 million children's building? I have no clue. I have no clue. But I'll tell you this. I have faith that it will happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. But God has given this church a vision to reach 250,000 people within walking distance of where we are. 60,000 of them are young families under the age of 40. At the rate that we're growing right now, church, I want you to wrap your mind about, around what God is doing here at Aloma. At the rate that we're growing, that God is bringing to us right now, several rooms in our current children's building will be maxed out by the end of this year. Then what are we going to do? You know, we can only put so many kids in a room. I mentioned a few weeks ago that we were about to have 16 newborn babies within a two-month span. 16 little babies, 16 infants, 16 newborns in, in a two-month window. That's a whole lot of new baby. I guess you could say that's huge, right? <laughs> I don't know how this is going to happen. But can I tell you that with every ounce and every fiber of my being, I truly believe that through the efforts of God's people that we're going to see this children's building built and we're going to do it without shackling ourselves to debilitating debt. And I know it's not about a building. It's about people. It's about 250,000 people. 180,000 of them don't know Jesus. Over 60,000 of them are young families who are raising children in this faithful society. I have faith to say that we can do this and reach them with the gospel of Christ. I see a day when we don't just have 16 newborn babies in a two-month window. I see a day when we have 50 newborn babies every Sunday. I see a day when we baptize hundreds of people every year, when we're touching the nations of the world through this pulpit right here. Church, I so desperately want you to catch this vision. I want you to pray for the faith to believe in this vision. I know it sounds ridiculous. I, I, I know it sounds impossible. But if we can't believe in the impossible, if we can't have faith that God can do the unimaginable, then what in the world are we doing here? Church, God has placed us here for such a time as this. And there is a sense within my spirit. I don't know what it looks like. I can't touch it. I can't feel it. But God has given me a very clear vision of this church impacting this community like she's never done before. And I believe that God is going to move and do some really awesome things. I don't know what that looks like. How can I? We're like old Abraham and barren Sarah who was pushing 100 years old when God gave him the vision. He didn't understand it. How could he? But he had faith. And old Abraham, 100 years old, 
went to his wife, who was almost 100 years old, and you know what he said? He said, Sarah, honey, you need to sit down. God spoke to me. You need to sit down, honey. I don't need you passing out on me. He said, Sarah, honey, we're going to have to sell our house. And she said, how are you going to get your old self up that attic and get all that stuff out of the attic? You're 100 years old. Sell our house. What are you talking about selling our house? I don't want to move. Sarah, we have to move. Why do we have to move? Because God gave me a big vision. Well, what was the vision? Where are we moving to, Abraham? Honey, we've got to move across the street from an elementary school because he's about to give us a whole lot of kids. It seems unreasonable. It seems unnatural. But you see, that's what God does with his vision. And he places a vision that seems impossible, improbable, unnatural. He places it in people like you and me who have just a mustard seed of faith, just enough faith to, to believe and trust God for the immeasurable. And when he gives that vision, we don't know how it's going to happen. But we can rest assured that it's going to happen. Not in our way, not in our time, but we know that God will move. How do we understand the vision that God has given to us? But I can tell you this, each one of us play a very important role in this whole equation. God always uses people to accomplish his purpose, always. And it's always people of faith, people who follow a vision, a big vision. They're stepping out in faith and using their own gifts and talents to serve him. Abraham was not going off his past merits. I want to conclude with this. Abraham was not going off his past merits. He didn't really have any, right? Where did he find him? Where did God find Abraham? In Ur of the Chaldees, following a pagan religion, following a pagan God. He couldn't go off his pagan. He, he, he couldn't go off his history because he didn't really have a good history. And, and he couldn't go off of his future, right? Because he couldn't understand his future. How in the world, as, as Paul mentions here, how in the world is God going to give a 100-year-old man enough children that's going to number be more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That doesn't make any sense. So Abraham had to take and decide to take a step of faith today. I want you to write this down. It is today's faith that will determine tomorrow's vision. Did you get it? It is today's faith that will determine tomorrow's vision. And it's tomorrow's vision that will determine our coming reality. It's tomorrow's vision that will determine our coming reality. So let's put that together. It's today's faith that will determine tomorrow's vision. And it's tomorrow's vision that will determine our coming reality. This is true, right? Let me show you in Scripture. We meet a man, our Savior, Jesus. He is ministering. He's in the season of life where he's ministering. And he gets word that his best friend Lazarus is about to die. And so he continues to minister and he begins to walk towards Bethany. And by the time he gets to Bethany, Martha comes running and she meets Jesus and she falls at his feet and she begins to cry. Martha is the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus is the best friend of Jesus. And Lazarus's sister, Martha, cries out to Jesus and says, you're too late, Jesus. Uh, your, your best friend, my brother, is already dead. 
She said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, you're too late. Ever felt that way? It's okay to admit. Have you ever been the place in your life when, when, when you said, God, where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I was broke? Where were you when I was lonely? Where were you? And then Martha blurted out something else. Not only did she say, Jesus, you're too late, but then she said, but, but Jesus, Lord, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Do you see what Martha's just done here? She had hope in the past. She, she said, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have done something about it. She had hope in her past. If you were here, you could have done something. She had hope in her past. She also had hope in her future. You see, my, my, my brother, even though he's dead, he, he's going to be resurrected again. She had hope for her past. She had hope and vision for her future, but she had zero faith in the present. She had hope in her past. She had a vision for her future, but she had no faith in her present. She was so blinded by her hurt, and she was so blinded by her pain. Her hope in the past and her vision for the future blinded her from her faith in the present. Jesus said, take me to where you buried him. We understand that Martha had no faith, right? Because they took him to the grave and, and she, she, she begged him again. She said, Jesus, don't remove that stone because if you remove that stone, he, King James says, he stinketh, right? He stinketh. He, he's been dead for a long time. You see, that tells us that Martha had no faith in Jesus Christ in the present. She had no clue of what Jesus could have done right then and right there. She had hope in her past. She had a great vision for the future, but she had nothing. Her tank was empty in the present. Jesus said, you're about to see the glory of God. And he raised Lazarus to life. You know what this tells me? It tells me that we can't just live on yesterday's hope and tomorrow's vision. We have to have faith today. We can't just live on yesterday's hope, yesterday's promise. We can't just live on tomorrow's promise and tomorrow's vision. We, we have to have faith today. You see, circumstances today, if you don't have faith today, circumstances can and will arise in your life that will rob you of your faith today. Living on yesterday's hope and tomorrow's promises are, are good, but if you don't have faith today, then, you see, that, that's what church people, we're, we're good at that. Your, your whole world is crashing, but you never show it. If you miss everything that I've said today, don't miss this. When you go through hard times, when the going gets tough, when you're being tossed to and fro and you're, you're so discombobulated, you don't even know which way is up and which way is down. Your whole world is shaken. Don't just live on yesterday's hope and tomorrow's promises. You may not see it. Actually, you probably won't see it. You're not going to understand it because you're so rattled. But in those moments, when you, 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 what you need to do is not to look to the pastor of the future. You need to take Jesus by the hand and lead him to the grave and say, Jesus, I don't understand what's going on. But dear Lord, give me the faith today to trust you. What is your grave? Is it a broken marriage? A broken home? Broken relationships? Maybe you're just straight up broke. I, I, I don't know. 
What is it that, that, that is, is, is causing you not to have faith today? I'm glad you got hope in yesterday. I'm glad yesterday was, uh, you know, the, the good old days. But you can only do so much with the good old days. And I'm glad that you've been given a promise of heaven and eternal life with him. But can I ask you, what is Jesus doing in your life today? You see, my, my boat's rocking, my... My, 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 my ship is, is sinking. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Take Jesus by the hand and trust and believe that even though you don't understand, you may never understand why you're going through what you're going through, but that's the point. We're not God. He sees it all. We don't. Take him by the hand. Take him to that grave and say, Jesus, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm believing in a big miracle from you today. That's what Abraham did. Abraham, he couldn't live off his past. He couldn't understand his future. So what he did was he had faith today. 